You know, I have a philosophy around doing the right thing. I actually think that doing the right thing is the easy thing. And doing the right thing is always the right thing to do. And so I, I actually don't think it was that hard at all, right? Our core values, you know, um, really align with that foundation on social responsibility and sustainability. And we extend that foundation um, for our commitment um, with our suppliers. You're listening to Transform Talks, a podcast about global supply chain transformation. I'm Maria Villablanca, co-founder and CEO of Future Insights Network, a fast-growing network of over 130,000 supply chain and manufacturing executives worldwide. Now on this show, I'm going to be interviewing and having conversations with some of the biggest names in supply chain and business, where we're going to be discussing topics around digitization, transformation, leadership, technology, business models, diversity, sustainability, and much, much more. Welcome back to Transform Talks. Today, my guest is Cheryl Capps. Cheryl is the Senior Vice President and Chief Supply Chain Officer at Corning Incorporated, one of the world's leading innovators in material science. Now, since joining Corning in 2011, Cheryl has worked to transform the company's global supply chain into a competitive advantage for Corning, enabling innovation, growth, and financial success. As a result of her 35 years experience in diverse leadership positions in manufacturing, supply chain, and business management, Cheryl is now considered one of the most revered figures in the supply chain space. I have to say that I really enjoyed recording this episode. Not only did I get to sit down with one of the titans of our industry, but I also got to find out more about Corning as a company. You know, before speaking with Cheryl, I have to admit that I had no idea of just how many innovations Corning has been responsible for. Since being founded over 170 years ago, the business has been involved in everything from developing revolutionary pharmaceutical glass packaging to even supplying NASA with high-precision mirrors for their New Horizons mission. As for the conversation, well, Cheryl and I discussed the work that has been going on into making Corning's shared service model a reality, the idea that how you do things is just as important as what you accomplish, and what the company has been able to achieve as a result of launching Project Proteus. I hope you enjoy this episode. Hi, Cheryl. Welcome to Transform Talks. Thanks for being here. Thank you for inviting me. So Corning, it takes its name from uh, Corning, New York. First of all, tell me, where is Corning, New York? Because I, I know New York State. My sister used to live in Ithaca, so I was just there last week, actually. Is it near Ithaca? Um, it's not too far from Ithaca, perhaps about uh, one hour. We are in the southern tier. It's in the Finger Lakes region. Um, I think of it as maybe an hour to, uh, to Ithaca, about an hour and 15 minutes to Rochester, right on the border with Pennsylvania. Okay, and, and, and so obviously the name of the company takes, you know, takes its name from, from there because of, uh, I guess, the, uh, it's being known for Center of Technological Innovation in Glass, right? So, uh, okay, if I had to be in Corning for one hour, um, where should I go? What, what should I look at? I would definitely visit the Corning Museum of Glass. Although I, I'm not sure you can appreciate it in one hour, but, but I would definitely stop by the museum. Uh, we call it CMOG. Uh, it's a world-renowned glass museum. It houses the world's largest collection of glass, um, certainly um, preserves the history of glass, um, and, and expands our um, understanding of glass. Um, you can see creative glass-making demonstrations. You can make your own glass piece. It really is a stunning museum. So you know what? 
as uh, Corning, I think I fail to appreciate what an incredibly rich history Corning has, right? In terms of uh, how many innovations have come from Corning, you know, from uh, revolutionary pharmaceutical glass packaging to you, if I remember correctly, you supplied NASA with high precision mirrors for their New Horizons mission. Is there any particular innovation or product that comes to mind when you think of all the products and if you could pick your favorite, kind of like picking your favorite kid? Yeah, no, that's a great question. Um, I have to say for me, it's really thinking through how Corning Innovations touch my life and make it what it is today. That's what really gets me excited when I think about an innovation. And I'll, I'll kind of talk through like a day in the life. You know, I get up in the morning and I turn on my lights. Corning invented the glass envelope for Edison's light bulb. So it's hard to, to imagine that our world would be, you know, what our world would be without that, that key invention. I then I take my medicines, you just referenced that. They're developed in labs using Corning glassware and for some of them, self-culture products. In fact, my COVID vaccine was delivered in a Corning glass vial. I check my handheld devices first thing in the morning, which have Corning glass on the front screen and on the back. I walk from my bedroom down into the kitchen to get my first cup of coffee to pass by my flat screen TV, which has Corning covered glass on it. I get in my car as a Corning ceramic substrate and it's catalytic converter, right? It, um, key product in terms of protecting our environment. And by the time I sit down in front of my computer, you know, maybe 90 minutes after I've, I've awoken in the morning and I make it my first, I've made my first phone call. I've used Corning optical fiber, cable and connectivity solutions dozens of times. Corning was the inventor of low loss optical fiber. I could go on and on, but I think you get the picture. You know, each and every day, Corning Innovation makes my world what it is. I'm going to pick on something that you just said there because you talk about how the catalytic converters, you know, help with the environment. It's something exciting to be part of an organization that you take pride in. I, I imagine it makes your job a lot easier. I imagine it helps create the vision of the business and maybe take people with you. Because one of the challenges I've noticed with organizations is there's a sort of like a communication issue. It's hard to take people with you when you do transformations. And to be part of something that you're so proud of must be very important and very enriching. It is. Um, I, you know, we talk about sustainability as a, as a company, and that's just been part of our DNA for a really long time. Um, we have a, a montage that we show, and one of my favorites is there's this picture of Los Angeles. You know, back before the catalytic converter and the, that ceramic substrate was invented. And if you look at, at Los Angeles, it's just, just this picture of you know, cars on the, on the interstates and this just haze of pollution. They show the, the before and the after, what it looks like today. That's what that innovation has done for sustainability. And that's not just in Los Angeles, obviously. That's all around, all around the United States. It's all around the world. Um, and it, and is, even as the world moves forward to um, hybrid vehicles, right? Those are still um, those still use our, our ceramic substrates in those hybrid vehicles, and um, and so as, as I mentioned, this has been part of our DNA. So when we talk about sustainability and what we're doing to reduce carbon footprint. You know, it's it's just not not too much to just to suggest that we're we're just continuing to evolve. And you know, one of the recurring themes on the podcast this year, actually, and if you've worked in supply chain as long as we have, 
it's a theme that's been going on for a long time, which is how do we get rid of silos, right? We've been talking about silos for a very long time. And I know that as an organization, Corning is a very firm proponent of the operating for the good of the whole corporation, you know, instead of just one division or one plant. And that's exemplified through your supply chain's shared service model, which I want to hear about. I guess I'm curious as the chief supply chain officer, how much work has gone into making that a reality? And, and what's the key to getting everybody to buy into that philosophy? You know, great question. I joined Corning back in 2011. And um, at that time, the supply chain was called procurement and transportation, which is, as you know, is a, a fairly antiquated term, but it was in fact reflective of where the company was in, um, in embracing and building out a world-class supply chain organization. You know, when I started, the idea was simple. It was to offer best-in-class supply chain uh, operational effectiveness with global leadership and service excellence, while accelerating certainly the reduction in cost of, of supply, acquiring um, the supply that we need in our in our in our factories. And so it was a really simple vision. But when you talk about how a company you know can embrace and align behind a vision, it was something that wasn't hard to sell. Everybody wanted to be competitive. Every business wanted to be competitive. Everyone wanted to be to have um, a robust supply chain, right? That they could they could rely on. That was fast. Was flexible. And so buying into the vision wasn't difficult. Um, the execution took some work. Took some time. We started by setting up uh, what we call supply management services companies, or or SMSCs, and we put those in in Switzerland, Singapore, and the United States. And then to support those service centers, we added regional operating centers, which we call ROCs or ROC centers, in India, Budapest, and Mexico. And together, that constellation, those SMSCs, the ROCs, and the group of supply chain professionals that have been at our factories and businesses in 80 different countries, were the basis of creating this one seamless global supply chain team, team that operates and solves problems 24-7. To facilitate and collaborate that collaboration and integrate the function, we established 12 global service lines, which you could call centers of excellence. And while those services were headquartered in one of those uh, supply management service centers or SMSCs, all of them had a global presence. So in fact, we were just creating this fabric, right? This just interrelated fabric. There's nothing silo-based about it. Success of the function, the success of each and every business was dependent on this matrix organization operating. Um, we expanded our global category leadership for direct and direct capital, contract manufacturing, and logistics. You know, a lot of change happened in a fairly short time frame, but since we were consistently increasing value delivery and each and every, every step in the process, we were delivering lower costs to the businesses through the transformation, we were getting more services, more support, they were seeing value. There was really widespread buy-in to the model. In fact, at one point in the in the in the transformation, it, it almost got away from us. The, you know, I, I wasn't out selling and trying to convince the businesses to try the next thing. They were pushing the opposite direction, right? They were coming and asking for more and more and more faster than we that we than we could we could deliver it. And that's when I knew that that the model was successful. You know, Corning's a Fortune 500 company. It's a global company. And our supply chain experts understand the need to deliver that operational effectiveness 
world-class operational effectiveness, as well as providing service value to each and every one of our businesses. And that's really what made it work. So everybody gets behind, you know, the, the vision. Everybody gets behind it and supports this sort of fabric. I love the analogy with creating a fabric and sort of a matrix operation as opposed to uh, the hierarchical ones. How long did that take? You know, I've been at it for 12 years. I would not say that we're done. I would say that in the area, if you think about supply chain, plan, source, make, deliver, and enable, I'd say in the sourcing area, you know, we are a world-class organization, um, but that doesn't mean we can sit back and not continue to, uh, you know, to develop new new capabilities and, and improve. In our logistics organization, I would say we're probably about 75% through that transformation. Um, when you get to make contract manufacturing, again, I'd say we're probably in the, probably at the 75% complete phase where we really um, have not, um, made uh, as much progress certainly as i envision is in in the, in the planning planning area um, we still have a very disparate set of uh, erp systems and um, we're going through an erp transformation and so we're probably got another four or five years before we're world class in that space making good progress delivering good value but we still have, have some work to do well, that's the thing with transformations, right? They're never ending. The, the, that's the whole point of a transformation. It's an ongoing project, right? It's we don't just okay, we transformed it over. And, and going back to going back to how uh, how you're you're doing with things. I mean, I know that you're very strict, or Corning is very strict when it comes to awarding contracts to suppliers. Uh, from what I read, the criteria that you have goes way just beyond the the price, which I love to hear. You also look at social responsibility and sustainability. Now, here's the tricky part. How challenging is it to maintain those kinds of high standards during periods of disruption, i.e. the last couple of years? <laughs> you know, I have a philosophy around doing the right thing. I actually think that doing the right thing is the easy thing. And doing the right thing is always the right thing to do. And so I, I actually don't think it was that hard at all. Right? Our core values, you know, um, really align with that foundation on social responsibility and sustainability. And we extend that foundation um, for our commitment um, with our suppliers. I believe that you can't have a social responsibility, a sustainability, quote, program. Right? It can't be something that sits on the side of what you do. It has to be built into, into each and every part of your core processes so that you know you you aren't you, you're never at risk of cutting a budget or you know not focusing on that particular thing it's it's embedded in each and every process that you that you that you run and so it starts with you know putting those standards um, in our supplier code of conduct you can see that on our website it's embedded in in our contract templates and our purchase orders right so we don't have the option of just suddenly one day just not putting it in a PO saying it doesn't count for you guys. No, it's it's in the standard in the standard language. Internally, we built those standards in the processes from the very beginning for our supplier identification process. Right, it's it's front and center through qualification, onboarding, contracting, and really throughout the entire life cycle of the supplier relationship, um, which we enhance with auditing and monitoring. We have a, a digital and AI based tool set 
that we use to detect and circumvent disruption. And we use that tool set for sustainability um, risk and to address it. So we're constantly, you know, real time picking up um, signals from around the world. Um, if they're, you know, if, if a supplier has had a, you know, something that, whether it's social media, whether it is a legal filing or a government intervention, we will detect that event that has happened and we can address it. We believe really strongly it's our responsibility to lead outside of the company. It's not just internal to the company, right? And our, great, our greatest contributions will be if we ensure that our high standards are upheld end-to-end -end in the supply chains of our suppliers. And we say that all the way back to the mines, right? So we, we use a lot of industrial minerals in our products. Many of them, they, they come from mines, right? Not, we don't buy directly from mines. There's many layers in the supply chain. But that's the basis of, um, we have a responsible mining initiative. We are holding our suppliers accountable for providing visibility or chain of custody and ensuring our higher standards of sustainability and social responsibility are upheld all the way back at each layer of the supply chain back to the mine. A lot of people think that cost reduction programs that are good for businesses are not necessarily good for the environment. And I think we've proven, proven the opposite. What's good for the environment is in fact good business. So it's not just social responsibility on the environmental side. We track each and every project um, in our portfolio, like a cost reduction portfolio, cash, cash project. And we track each and every negotiation you know, across the function. More than half of our negotiate, negotiations and renegotiations achieve what we call a triple play plus rating. What does that mean? Um, it means that they provide financial benefit, they improve free cash flow, reduce risk, and contribute to our sustainability and social responsibility goals. Moreover, even though the half of them improve our sustainability and social responsibility, none of them um, result in a step backwards because that's a criteria of a failure of a program. We won't execute. We take, have to take a step back in sustainability or social responsibility. And so we are not tempted to make trade-offs. In fact, no, no trade-offs are allowed. I like that. No trade-offs are allowed. And you know what? I mean, reputational risk can be damaged instantly, right? So it's important that companies stay on top of those things. And uh, the work that you're doing is very important. Now, I want to take us back a little bit to uh, the topic of disruption, because I was reading about the Project Proteus, uh, which I think was launched in response to the Suez uh, Canal blockage of 2021. From what I hear, a lot of work has gone into making that project a reality. Now, can you, for the benefit of the listeners, talk us through the project and what Corning has been able to achieve as a result of it? So really, it's hard to have a conversation about supply chain these days without, without talking about supply chain disruption and really market volatility, which is a contributor to that disruption. First of all, I'll say that um, disruptions are still at historic, are at historic um, highs. And through that process, we believe we've emerged as a leader in mitigation. We track supply chain disruption in our supply chains, uh, again, at multiple layers throughout the supply chain, not just our direct suppliers. And we're, we're tracking at about 10 to 12 times pre-pandemic levels. We saw a spike last uh, a year ago with the China lockdown, with the, um, the uh, uh, Russian-Ukrainian conflict. 
spiked up to 20 to 25 times pre-pandemic levels, but then settled back down at this 10 to 12x um, level. It's my belief, our belief, that this is the new normal. So as people ask me, you know, we talk about, well, when, when are things going to get back to the way they were before? I tell them just, this is the new normal. Expect, expect to be at this, this, this level, at least for the foreseeable future. I don't see anything in the world's geopolitical landscape or, you know, and anything that would change it. So assume that we're going to continue to operate at 10 to 12 X. When you change that mindset, right, with that assumption in mind, then you, you say, okay, how do I, you know, how do I, how do I minimize the number of disruption? I can't change the number of disruptions that happen in the world, right? That's, that's bigger than me. But I can minimize the number of disruptions that impact corning. And for those that we, we can't avoid, we can minimize the impact of them on our company. And that's, um, so the project we launched, the more strategic project, not the day-to-day -day, you know, disruption management, it's a project we called Proteus. Proteus is an interesting name. It's named after the Greek god of shape-shifting. And um, its objective is to shape disruption. That's what we think about it as a, a disruption shaping program. So what does that mean? Fundamentally, we're regionalizing and localizing our supply chains, and in fact, reducing the surface area of supply chains. And with that, we reduce the chances that global disruptions will impact us. Where we can't quickly relocate our supply base, we're asking our suppliers to keep inventory near our factories. And in parallel, we're qualifying new suppliers. Uh, new suppliers that give us redundancy in our supply chain and that are, in fact, closer to, um, to our factories. And then finally, last but not least, this is big, we're implementing those transformational programs where we're changing the materials we use, we're purchasing them at different points in the supply chain, consuming less, wasting less, recycling more. And um, all of this together really significantly um, reduces our vulnerability to risk. So risks happen less frequently to us or those disruptions happen less frequently. And when they do, the impacts are far smaller. And in fact, um, we've just finished one year, year one of the program. It's been very successful. Delivering that triple play plus that I just spoke about, right? Uh, reducing costs, improving cash flow, reducing risk and contributing to a sustainability um, objectives. So it's just a win all the way around. You know, we, we might be starting focusing on disruption and, and but we're just getting so many other benefits. You know what, it's enlightening to hear that because it's, I speak to a lot of companies and they say that they're returning back to sort of the old ways of running cost-driven supply chains. And um, I wholeheartedly agree with you, Cheryl. I mean, just today reading in the newspaper about the Panama Canal uh, having to limit the number of ships because of climate change and or climate er emergencies that they're having, lack of water, normality isn't coming back. That's my belief. So uh, companies that are going to be able to mitigate risks as much as possible and deliver good value to their clients are going to be the companies that are going to be around much longer, which kind of leads to my next question about the fact that Corning has already been around for a remarkable 170 years and achieved quite a lot, like you say, you can't take a journey uh, for the morning just to get from when you wake up to, to your office without t the touch points and of, of Corning. But what's next for you? What's next for the business as a whole? And, and, and what's going to be the key to ensuring that it's still around in 170 years time? Great question. 
you know, first I'll, I'll, I'll comment on, on your, you know, your, your perspective. We are by no means returning to the supply chain of the pre-pandemic, right? The cost-based cost, cost -based supply chain. We have, um, we believe that this change, as I said, is going to be the way supply chains need to operate um, in the future. So we're actually doubling down on it, right? We're not backing off, we're not reverting at all. If I look forward, you know, the key to Corning's success is its commitment to innovation and its ability to evolve and meet industry needs and demands. The company wouldn't be around 170 years if they weren't successful at innovating and adapting to changes in the environment. From a supply chain perspective, you know, despite the high-level disruption over the past year, three years, we've kept our plants running and maintained our highest levels of service to our customers. You know, even during the peak of the pandemic, companies don't last for 170 years if they're not future-oriented. Supply chains don't serve com companies that um, if they don't are not uh, future-oriented. They need to anticipate and respond to changes in, in the world. Our progressive digitalization culture has enabled us to develop new processes and capabilities that are leading in our industry. And with supply chain, we've adopted a next generation digitalization model. That model has certainly all of the elements that you would, you would see in modern you know, digitalization capabilities, whether it's, um, you know, it's AI, machine learning, and, you know, advanced modeling, data analytics, 3D printing, robotic process automation, smart supply chain enablers like, like blockchain. We've used those elements and we've used them to develop what we call digital building blocks. And so when we see a new, something emerging in the supply chain or a new problem to be solved, right? We can then quickly take these digital building blocks and assemble them in a new configuration, right? Build maybe some new interfaces, maybe a front end and a back end. And we can very quickly get ahead of that emerging, that emerging, that emerging trend, or address that new supply chain problem that has emerged. A pandemic. We got out really, really fast because we had these digital building blocks, and we were able to cobble, put them together, right, in a new configuration, and get out really, really quickly. And so, I think we have a really focused and creative portfolio of new capabilities that we'll be rolling out in the coming years, and. Um, we, um, you know, we, we intend to to continue to lead in this space and um, and uh, stay tuned. See what we do next. Well, I, I'm not going to be around 170 years, but I am excited to uh, to see what comes next. Now, unfortunately, we've reached the end of our uh, show, and I'm going to ask you the last question, which is what I ask everyone else uh, at the end, which is about a book. If you can think of any book that you might want to recommend or a book that's had an impact on your life, whether it's a personal book or a business book, it doesn't matter. You know, I read a lot of books and different ones really resonate with me at different times of my life, right? It really has to do with, with timing and um, not just what we're going through, but what I'm anticipating to be the future. Um, one recent book that had a tremendous personal and professional impact on me was a book called You've Been Chosen by Sint Marshall. It's a book about thriving through the unexpected. So obviously it really resonates when you're going through a pandemic and this hyperinflation rate that happened after the pandemic, supply chain disruption. So thriving and living through the unexpected really resonated. But I will say the book has, has so much more. It takes the question, why me, right? That people ask when you're going through some really, really tough times, like why is this happening to me, right? And it just turns that question around and it just says, well, why not me, right? 
As supply chain um, organizations and the leaders manage through this seemingly never-ending disruptions over the past few years, right, followed by this, these waves, as I said, of record inflation, it's really easy to fall into a trap of self-pity or anger or frustration. But thinking that you have been chosen, like the title of the book, at this moment, at this time in history, the idea that you're the per you are the person in your particular role right now for a reason, it's very liberating. I used this book with my extended leadership team, and um, we explored it in considerable detail. I truly believe that this is the time for supply chain professionals to step up and shine, right? And to lead like we always knew that we could. And so that's why I would recommend this book. Thank you. I'm going to have to look that up because I do sometimes sit there and go, why me? Why, why me now? So yeah, thank you so much. Cheryl, thanks so much for being here. Thanks for sharing uh, the stories and for everything. And you know what? I am going to look out for what's next with you. So thank you so much. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. So that's it for this week. Thanks for listening. I do hope you gained some valuable insight from this week's episode. To stay up to date with the latest developments, be sure to follow us on LinkedIn at Transform Talks. Also, if you don't already follow me on LinkedIn, please do so now. I'm always keen to connect with supply chain and business leaders from around the world. You can find me by searching for Maria P. Villablanca. And if you're lucky, I may let you know what the P in my name stands for. In the meantime, wishing you a great week ahead. And as always, for those of you listening, I'll catch you at the next one.